Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. very tall has been using this. How we doing? Good to see you. It's good to see people in this room. It's good to see, uh, it's good to see more chairs occupied than empty. I like it very much. So I've been thinking about, you know, how the world is doing and how we're doing, how you're doing, how life is going. And uh, I learned a long time ago that I don't ask people about last week's sermon. Like, you know, what did the pastor talk about last week? Because that's very discouraging. <laughs> and in fairness, you know, I, I have to admit that sometimes people will call me or approach me even after the service and say, hey, what was point number two? And I'll be like, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> in my notes somewhere, so I don't hold you accountable. But if I were to just sum up what we talked about last week, imagine what committed people working diligently together for a worthy and common purpose can accomplish. Imagine what people who are committed working on a worthy and common purpose, imagine what can be accomplished. So we're thinking about what that looks like and what that means and taking this cue from the story of Nehemiah and the walk of Nehemiah and what that all means. This is what I think is going on. I, I just think that the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ has unprecedented opportunities right now. I'm going to try that again just because I'd like for you to get with me in this process. I really believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of the cross and the message of God's word has incredible relevance to where we are in the world today. And I read the headlines and I get the emails about the demise of the Christian church and I know that less and less people are attending church in this country and yada, yada, blah, blah, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. But that does not change the reality that I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is alive. And, they were, and, and the church is going to need to evolve. You understand? I don't think anybody's saying, let's go back to where we used to be. I think we're simply saying, let's recognize that there is a space where corporate worship is vital and important. And there's a place where virtual, the virtual church is having a reach that it's never had before and presenting opportunities that we've never seen before. I love that right now at this moment, there are people across the country, families across the country worshiping together, in, a, in an occasion, an opportunity that they didn't have before all this craziness. I think house churches are going to see a rise. I think we're going to see expressions of the church of Jesus Christ that, that are going to be beyond anything we've understood or known before. And I think we need to be ready to open our hearts and our minds and our spirits and embrace all of the validity of the ways in which God's church is going to get expressed. Because I want you to hear me. <laughs> 
I believe that God's church is going to get expressed. Question becomes, in what way will we share in that process? In what way will you and I be a part of what God's doing? So, no politics for a minute. Just thinking about human beings, not, you know, projecting on anyone. Just asking you a series of questions. Okay? All right. How do you think people are doing today? Do you think people generally feel safe and happy and together? How many people do you meet who seem afraid, angry, overwhelmed, confused, or discouraged? (laughs) If you rated the overall well-being of people in the broad culture on a scale of one to 10, one, being we're in big, big trouble, 10 being everybody's doing great, how would you rate the broad culture? Yeah. Yeah, if you get above five, you're an optimist. I mean, I, I just, the feeling I have, and so this is what I think, I have never, ever, 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 ever in my life seen a time when I felt like the culture, the politics, the world we live in was in a weaker state than it is right now. Weaker. Personal mental health, weaker. Personal emotional health, weaker. And what does the scripture say? My strength is made perfect in weakness. And it seems to me that we live in an unprecedented time. I mean, honestly, this is the truth. If, if the church, if the climate, if the culture were the stock market, this would be the time you could buy low. I mean, the market's way down. It's way down right now. And the question is, is the church going to recognize that and step into that gap? Are we going to invest? Are we going to be discouraged with everybody else? Are we going to sit back with everybody else and go, well, yeah, the world... uh, because we do that, don't we? Okay, let's be personal. Because we feel that, don't we? I don't know about you, but the less you ask me to do, the less I want to do. Just me? No. I think in order to accomplish something worthwhile, we have to overcome the inertia of these last few months. We have to overcome the inertia of our own discouragement. We have to overcome the inertia of our own sort of lack of direction. And we have to get back to the point that we believe that God has a redeeming, hopeful, joyful, transformational mission for us to share as we walk around this planet together. I don't know if you know this, but one of the hard things about adulting is finding out that fun is hard work. (laughs) Remember when you were a kid and fun was just fun? It was just fun. You just, you know, you were going to go to Disneyland. Not me, because I lived in Texas, but you were going to go to Six Flags. You know, and you just thought, that'll just be fun. You didn't know about the money. You didn't know about packing the car. You didn't know about parking. You know, you just didn't know about those things. You just, it was just fun. Fun was just fun. 
When I was a kid, a vacation was just fun. It was just fun. There was nothing else for me to do except have fun. So my experience with vacations growing up, you know, was my parents would come and lift me out of my bed while I'm asleep and put me in a back seat that where they had prepared another bed. And, and then we would drive and then they would take me out and feed me and they would put me back in the car. They'd put me in a hotel and let me swim in the swimming pool. And I thought vacations were just fun. I thought fun was fun. And then I grew up and I found out there's a lot more to a vacation than that. And it turns out that some of those things are not as much fun. And I promise you this, you know this, but it is hard work to have fun. There is not a single fun thing you can do that is not work. And if it is not work, then it's not that fun. <laughs> Amen? I mean, let's be honest. There is an absolute return on investment in this stuff. But it is hard work. If you want to take your family skiing, listen, fun, very hard work. <laughs> Many times you will think, I don't think it's worth it. <laughs> you want to go to the beach. Work. We used to go to the beach. <laughs> we went to the beach once, let's be clear. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the beach, but you go once and there is sand for months. I don't know how it's even possible. We only did that a couple times, and they were like, no, the beach is too much work for the level of fun. It's just too much work. Now, other people don't feel that way. I get that. But most of us do that assessment, and we know this. We know this. In fact, sometimes, right now, we're getting ready to, we're on the brink of the holidays. Here we are. And some of us are going, oh, Thanksgiving. Oh, man. I'm doing the banquet big meal this year. I'm popping it in the oven and throwing it on the table. Because all that fun is a lot of work. Seems to reason that if fun is hard work, then accomplishing something meaningful in the kingdom of God is hard work. And it seems to me that, generally speaking, even before this COVID thing happened, there's a reluctance for people to work especially at church. <laughs> Let me broaden that, especially in the kingdom of God. I got to go to work. I got to earn money. I got to do this. I got to do that. I don't know that I have any more time to invest in the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God happens far beyond the walls of the church. Amen? Amen. But how many of us with intentionality are saying, if I'm going to build something worthwhile, if I'm going to contribute to a broken world in some significant way, it will take a level of commitment in me. And it will mean work. It will cost me something. There'll be sacrifice involved in this process. And I don't know about you, but I have learned things during the pandemic I did not need to know. Yes. Amen? I learned that I can come in this room and preach to an empty room and go home. Just be in here for a few minutes and it can just be broadcast anywhere, anytime. I don't need to do three services. That's a lot of work. <laughs> or five or whatever we're doing. But I learned more than that. I learned that you don't have to leave the house to get stuff. 
I mean, you could always order from a department store and at time they would mail you whatever you bought, right? That's not how it works now. I mean, you can order anything and have it come to your house. My home is a center of commerce. <laughs> it is, there is a small business being run in my home. There is merchandising that takes place on my front porch. And I drive around, it's your front porch too, so don't be looking at me like I'm weird. But it's not just stuff you can buy. You can, you can buy your groceries. Fresh groceries can be delivered to your front door. You don't have to get up from the couch to get your groceries. That is information I did not need to have. Not only that, if I desire, if I have a craving for one thing or five things, I don't have to get in my car, which I would never do, and go to five places. Okay, I might do it, but I probably wouldn't do it. I don't have to get in my car and go five places. I can enter on my phone the things I want, and someone will go pick them up for me and deliver them to me on my front doorstep. It's gotten so bad that I resent it when I have to enter my credit card number. I'm like, what, the fingerprint thing's not working? What kind of business are you? We're not primitives here. This is how much effort I want to make to get my groceries and eat my food. Right here, this is what I've come to. And we've learned that. And this is what's surprising to me. It's things that we used to think were normal are now a terrible inconvenience to us. Just a terrible inconvenience to us. And while committed people, committed to a common worthy purpose, can accomplish amazing things, we are very fragile beings, aren't we? It takes so little to tip us over. It takes so little to get our anxiety going. It takes so little to distract us and discourage us. And so in all of that, as we exist now in a world that is hurting, searching, longing, aching, where will the church of Jesus Christ be? Where will you be in this process? Because I believe that the message of the gospel and the message of the cross is the antidote for so much of the pain and desperation that we see in our culture and in our world, in our own lives. Amen? So where are we in this process, and what does it all mean? One thing's for sure, commitment is hard, work is hard, and our culture has become a little bit inoculated to the fact that that is true. We're really not all that excited about hard work. Sir Walter Scott said, teach self-denial and make its practice pleasure, and you can create for the world a destiny more sublime than ever issued from the brain of the wildest dreamer. Teach self-denial and make it. That's another culture from another age. We don't print that stuff now. You're not going to read that necessarily on Facebook. Teach self-denial. Make its practice pleasure. And you can build something wonderful, sublime better than the wildest dreamer. For you and I, we, we are in a space in which we're invited to experience and to commit and to grow something that has great significance. Let me read to you an extended piece of the story of Nehemiah, and then I'll have four observations for you as we think about what this commitment together looks like. Now, when it was reported, Nehemiah 6.1, 
to Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and to the rest of our enemies that I had built the wall and that there was no gap left in it, though up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave to come down to you? They sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. And in the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand, and it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says that you and the Jews intend to rebel, and that's why you're building the wall. And according to this report, you wish to become the king. You've also set up prophets to proclaim in Jerusalem concerning you. There's a king in Judah, and now it will be reported to the king according to these words. So come, therefore, and let us confer together. And then I sent him to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done. You're inventing them out of your own mind. Sounds a little bit like our culture, doesn't it? For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. One day, when I was sent into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehabel, who was confined to his house, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, tonight they are coming to kill you. But I said, Should a man like me run away? Would a man like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And then I perceived and saw that God had not sent him at all. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him, and he was hired for this purpose, to intimidate me and make me sin by acting in this way so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God. According to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Nodiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid, and they felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. I love this story. <laughs> I love the way it's unfolding. I love what's happening. I love where Nehemiah's been. I love the fact that he was the cupbearer to the king, and he lived in the palace, and he had a comfortable life, and he got a vision, and he had his heart broken about need and hurt and pain and suffering, and he left that, and God went with him, and the king joined in the vision, and they showed up in Jerusalem, and the vision became a plan, and the plan turned into the reality of the construction, and, and now they're in this stage where there's, they're nearing the end. They're accomplishing something important. I see four things that I think Nehemiah does that matter to you and I as we think about what it means to rebuild our commitment. Number one, a commitment needs focus. A commitment needs focus. I don't know about you, but I am easily distracted. I mean, I'm easily distracted. And I'm easily distracted by negative stuff. I mean, it, it doesn't take much. I, I, maybe this happens to you. Do you ever walk around with sort of a doom dart going on in your heart and you have to go back and figure out why? Or you just walk around going, going oh, I don't know. And you go, oh, yeah. I remember I heard this. Somebody said something about this. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know if it's real or not. But I remember that's where I started feeling weird. That's where I started feeling sad. That's where I started feeling scared. Because we're fairly fragile people. 
And I can tell you from experience, I, I, I might get an email that's rather negative sometimes. And I might get 10 emails that are rather positive. Guess which one gets my attention? Makes me worry. So that's how we're wired. Somehow that's how we're wired. If we don't fight against such things, that's what happens. And so Nehemiah, he's hearing all this stuff. He has people who are saying to him, listen, this is, what, this is the meanness. This is the gossip. This is what people are saying behind your back. This is what they're talking about. This is what you need to come and talk to us and clean this up because this is what's being said. And he has enough focus on what he's doing to go, no. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm not listening to that. I'm not participating in it. I'm not catering to it. I'm not giving into it. I'm not doing it. No, 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 no. Should I leave the work of God to go take time to deal with the mean-spirited gossip of somebody else? That was worth an amen. Because if you're like me, that is so easy to do. To leave our focused mission and purpose in Jesus Christ. And, and listen, let's be honest, folks. Churches all over the country, all over the world are suffering because what's going on right now is we're listening to a bunch of stuff and we're just not sure about the kingdom of God anymore. We're not sure about the church of Jesus Christ anymore. We're not sure about our mission and our purpose. Now, I don't care if it's virtual or a house church or a corporate worship. The church of Jesus Christ is the answer to the issues at the core of a human heart. And brokenness is still about an individual finding a place of repentance and forgiveness and redemption and a Savior that created us and loves us and gives us worth and purpose and meaning and work to accomplish in the world, a mission. We're here for nothing less than to see the kingdom of God alive on earth, His will done on earth as it is in heaven. And that doesn't just happen inside the walls of the church. It happens inside our homes and inside our families and inside our places where we work. We're on mission, we're on point, and we're focused. We're committed. And we're not easily distracted by the negativity that goes on around us because if you haven't noticed, that's what's out there, negativity. Negativity, negativity, negativity. <laughs> I wish I could get a job tearing stuff down. Because it is easy to do, isn't it? I mean, what a wonderful job. I'm going to look at what somebody else is doing and tell them how they're doing it wrong. And that's about 90% of our media. Doesn't matter if it's sports, doesn't matter if it's politics, doesn't matter if it's the news. Here's my job. I'm going to tell you what everybody's doing wrong. Wow, what a great job. <laughs> Doesn't contribute much to the well-being of the world, does it? No. And here's the frightening part. We're following the example. Instead of speaking light and hope, instead of speaking life, a commitment takes focus. Not going to be distracted by all of that. I'm not going the way of the culture. I'm going a different way. I'm going a different direction. I'm doing a different thing. Amen. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. I'm an ambassador of reconciliation as though God himself is making his appeal through me. And I won't be able to do all of that from my couch. Some of that's going to make me get up and get busy and get involved and take 
on the commitment of hard work. Because to build something meaningful, it takes hard work. Number two, a commitment to overcome. A commitment to overcome. I love this about Nehemiah. And I love this about people, too. Don't you love to be around a person who has a spirit of overcoming? I mean, you know, they, you say, well, you know, blah, 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 this happening. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> and this is what I think. We used to have this sense about us, and it was pretty simple. What's going on in the world? I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> but God's in control. Well, but, but did you see that? Yeah, but you know what? God's in control. Oh, and you know, I read something else. It said, in all things, God works for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. Oh, you know what else it says? It says, if God is for me, who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also graciously give us all things? Remember when we used to talk like that and think like that? I get emails from people and they want me to talk about stuff. It's a fun part of my job is that I don't know if you all know this, but you do not all agree on things going on in the world and in the culture. <laughs> so I get emails from people and they say, you know, Pastor, I think you ought to talk about this. I think not. Why don't you do a series about this? Nope. Here's what I want to talk about. This is my father's world. I don't know what all it means. I don't know what all the intricacies are. I don't think you do either. I don't think anybody else does. I don't think the people that are selling books know. This is what I do think. My job is to take the next step in God's will for me. It's just to do the next thing. Because God's going to win. God's going to win. God's going to win. He's going to win. And one day I'll breathe my very last breath and God will win. Because this is not all about this. This is not all about this. This is not all about this. This is not about me. This is not about what goes on in this world and in this life. This is about the kingdom of God alive on earth. That his will's done on earth as it is in, and I want to end up there. I just want to end up there, and I think God's going to win. And I am not that worried about all of it. And I think Nehemiah has this ability. He's an overcomer. He's a guy that goes, yeah, well, you go tell the king whatever you want to tell him. I don't care. I'm working on a wall here. I got a wall to build. Do what you got to do. Go where you got to go. Say what you got to say. Practice whatever politics you got to practice. I don't care. I just don't care. I'm building a wall. Right now, my whole focus is this rock and this mortar. That's it. That's what I'm doing. And lo and behold, 52 days later, there's a wall. And it means something. It's a contribution to the kingdom of God. Number three, he made a commitment to leadership. I love this. The guy comes to him and says, listen, we got to go over to the temple and lock you in because they're coming to get you. They're coming tonight to kill you. And Nehemiah says, would a man like me run? <laughs> you, you think I'm going to run? What kind of leadership is that? You think I'm going to run and leave those people out there building the wall while I'm safe inside the temple with the doors locked? What kind of representation would that be? No, no. I am not doing that. I'm going to lead from the front. 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 
Listen, leadership is a rare commodity in our culture. I mean the real thing. Real leadership. Real leadership because that, that means a graciousness and a gentleness. It's not about being a power person. It's about being a soul that has a heart for people and the courage to lead. It takes no great skill or leadership ability to put people down. It takes great ability to pe- bring people of diverse opinions together for a greater good. That's what leadership is by definition. And we point a lot of fingers in our culture at people who are poor leaders. But let me ask you this, what kind of leader are you? Because we're called to lead. Well, I don't consider myself a leader. Well, listen, there is a leadership pipeline and you may step out of the pipeline at some point, but you are a leader. Gulf Oil years ago, they were recognizing they had a problem. And the problem was that they would invest themselves in a group of executives and they would get them ready to be in the highest levels of leadership within their company. And then another company would come and take them. And their, you know, millions of dollars of investment would be wasted because they never realized the return on their investment. And so some corporate, you know, wizard decided that they needed a better process. And the process that they came up with was simply they needed way more leaders. They needed way more leaders uh, just because, you know, just the the attrition rate was high. And so they said, how do you develop thousands of leaders at the same time? You can't put everybody in a program. And so they they simply stood back and somebody came up with this idea. There's a leadership pipeline and we're just going to see who's in the pipeline (laughs) and we'll see where they come out of the pipeline and then we'll know who the leaders are. So number one, the leadership pipeline, lead yourself. Listen, if you're not a leader of anything else, you are a leader of yourself. (laughs) And leading yourself matters in this culture, in this world. Leading yourself in the graces of God matter. Leading yourself into the word. Leading yourself into places of prayer. Leading yourself into the presence of God. Giving space in your own life to be in dynamic relationship with God is the first level of leadership. Do we lead ourselves? And do we lead ourselves in all the circumstances? Do we lead ourselves at home? Do we lead ourselves at work? Do we lead ourselves? Do we simply say, I've made a commitment to be a leader, and I'm going to be a godly leader? And that doesn't mean that I have some position or job. It means that inside of me is a call to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. And the first place that has to happen, before it happens anywhere else, has to happen in me. It has to happen right here. And that may be where I'm leading for a while, because I need to get this stuff straightened out before I do the next thing. And then the pipeline said, well, if you can lead yourself, can you lead others? Because that's a good thing, isn't it? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to have some people that led others? Because we need that. Does the church ever have a time where we don't need leaders? I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I have always seen this. Here are 10 jobs that aren't getting done right now or being covered by somebody who's already doing 10 jobs because we don't have enough leaders who are willing to lead and so it's always an issue. Can you lead others? Then the, then the third level of the pipeline is, can you lead leaders? Because leading leaders is not the same thing as leading others. You know why? Because leaders are opinionated. They have ideas. They're difficult. And they're worthwhile. And anything worthwhile takes work. Even having fun is hard work. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but we work in our lives to get to a place where we can afford the conveniences that make life comfortable and worth living. 
but nothing of great worth is ever convenient. The things that matter most are never convenient. Relationships are not convenient. If you were looking for a convenient relationship, buy a dog. (laughs) Scratch that. That's not convenient either. (laughs) Amen? But they can't talk, so that's a blessing. (laughs) A commitment to leadership. Would a man like me do a thing like that? No, I got a wall to build. I got a wall to build, and I'm not going to be hiding from gossip. And what I love about this is he doesn't find out until later that it was all a ruse. He doesn't realize until later that the threat's not real. He made the decision to lead before he understood that the threat wasn't real. He just decided to be a leader. That's our calling. That's our purpose. And finally, number four, it was a commitment to God's kingdom. It was a commitment to God's kingdom. Nehemiah wasn't just building a wall. He was contributing to the kingdom of God. That's how he thought. That's what he thought when he got up in the morning. Because I don't know about you, but how many of you ever laid bricks or, you know, stacked stones like that? Yeah, a few of you know what it's like. It's not like a, you know, you don't like feel like this is meaningful work. You more feel like, will the bricks ever run out? We, we were on a mission trip, uh, you know, I've laid more bricks on mission trips because nobody would let me lay bricks anywhere else, because <laughs> that would be sad, but, but laid more bricks. I, Michael Gabor's out there, he's, he and I have laid a few thousand bricks, Herb Smith, Yvonne, we've, we've laid a few thousand bricks. One year we did a, a mission in the city of Cochabamba, and uh, we laid 12,242 bricks. And we were, I, this is the other part of the story, we were running out of bricks like about halfway through the mission trip. And I was praying we were going to run out of bread. I was just praying. <laughs> and you could just see the stacks. And we're like, man, we're, we're going to get a break. We're going to get a break. We're going to get a break. And then a semi pulled up. <laughs> it's the most discouraging moment. I was like, oh, man, we got more bricks. <laughs> and I just can't imagine that if Nehemiah didn't have this sense that he would have become discouraged along the way. But instead, he just said, this rock is a contribution to the kingdom of God. This little bit of mortar is a contribution. to. I don't have to figure it all out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this one stone. I'm going to do this. This is for the kingdom of God. It fits right into what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest seed. But put it in the ground. It's like yeast and 60 pounds of flour. And you look at that and you go, this cannot do this but it rises, it changes, the character changes, the depth changes, the functionality changes, everything changes because we keep our eye on the kingdom of God and we do this little thing and we can't necessarily perceive it and sometimes we get discouraged and it doesn't matter if you're contributing to the kingdom in your home, in your family, with your extended family, at your work, it doesn't matter, here at the church, wherever it is, This is who I am. This is what I was created to do. God has prepared in advance good works for me to do. And and I'm easily distracted, and it's easy for me to get away from my commitment. It's easy for me to sit on my couch and run my life from my phone. But I think God's asking me to do more. And it's going to be inconvenient, and it's going to take work. 
and it's going to take sacrifice, and it'll probably take some self-denial. But we are living in a broken and hurting world. The opportunity to share the healing gospel of Jesus Christ has never been more profound than it is today. And whatever form the church of Jesus Christ takes in these next few decades, so what? Let's build it. Let's build it virtually. Let's build it in a house church. Let's build it in corporate worship. Let's build and build and build and build until the kingdom of God is invasive in this world. And we can look together and say, look what God did. And I put in that little stone and that little stone, but I was a part of his kingdom. I was a part of his mission. I was a part of his purpose. God, would you help us, please? We want to be about the cause of God in this world. We recognize how easy it is for us to become distracted. We recognize how easy it is for us to become complacent. And we recognize how easy it is for us to come to believe somehow that the gospel is out of fashion or it's, it's somehow simplistic or naive to believe that the grace of God and the message of the gospel could make a difference in this crazy, complex world we live in. But God, I believe exactly that. I believe that whatever we're doing isn't working. Whatever remedies we've talked about politically and culturally and socially, it's not making a difference. People are sadder than they've ever been and more discouraged than they've ever been. Suicide is an epidemic. And we just want to humble ourselves. And we want to rebuild. We don't know what that'll look like. We're not hanging on to traditional things. We're, we're just simply saying, mark me in as a part of the kingdom life. I'm going to give whatever I can give and do whatever I can do. And I'll suffer through the inconvenience because I believe that God loves people in this world. And they just commissioned us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. As we respond to your word, God, would you allow each person, whether they're online or in this room or will watch later in this week, could each of us simply open our hearts to you and ask, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to commit? And would you speak? Would you speak clearly and profoundly and lead us? As you do that, we're going to give you all praise and all honor. We're going to put our little rock in the wall and we pray your kingdom come your will be done in jesus name and everybody said together amen let's stand thanks for joining us at the montrose church podcast for more information please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org have a great day